This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source, like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Go for Mike Slater in three, two, one. You're listening to Mike Slater, part of the next generation of talk radio, only on the Blaze Radio Network. Slater. Slater's America's greatest country in the world. Happy Saturday. Thanks for being here. We have um, maybe six to eight hours of content to get to today. Uh, so uh, we got three hours to do it. Let's get right at it. New poll. You may have seen it. A people, seven in 10 people, seven in 10, say that the country is losing uh, its identity. America is losing its identity. All right, let's break this down. Uh, first, we got to be careful interpreting uh, this poll because different people, two different people can answer the same way for completely different reasons. Not, not even different reasons, totally opposite reasons. Right? So you have two people say, yes, we're losing our identity for opposite reasons. So how do you reconcile that? So, so Republicans uh, in this poll, they say that Republicans think that the culture is grounded in Christian beliefs and the traditions of early European immigrants. Okay? So that's Republicans think that's our culture. Democrats, though, think the culture is rooted in the the combining of of many different cultures from around the world and accepting the huddled masses of um, you know so their identity is conservatives' identity is more in like our founding and the Democrats' identity they think our country is more like the 1920s of mass migration right so if the AP asks a Democrat is America losing its identity they'll say yes because they don't think we're bringing in enough immigrants today. And if you ask a Republican, are we losing our identity? They'll say yes, but because they think we're bringing in too many immigrants. Right? So you get two different people answering the same way for opposite reasons. Are we losing our identity because we're just too many immigrants? Or are we losing our identity because there's too few immigrants? So they both say yes, we're losing our identity, but for opposite reasons. And then you put them in the same category as if they both agree. And they don't. So that's a one tricky part uh, of this poll. But the real problem with this poll is that it skips over a couple things. The question is, are we losing our identity? But that skips over the important question of what is our identity? What is our identity today? And then there's also the question of what do we want our identity to be? But even that skips over an important question, which is why is it even important 
to have an identity, right? So do you see the progression of, of like, first and foremost, why is it even important to have an identity? And then what is our identity? And then are we losing it? And then what identity do we want to have? So there's a lot of questions there. And this AP poll goes right to the, the third and, and doesn't get to the first. So let's, let's talk about the first one. It's the foundation, right? Why is it important to have an identity? So I want to tell the story of uh, Xenophon. Xenophon was uh, around 400 BC. He was a student to Socrates. So we got a few characters in this story. Uh, we have the Persian king Xerxes. Right, so that's, uh, if you've seen the movie 300, uh, that, that's the, you know, the Persian king who attacked the Spartans. Right? Uh, it's also the Persian king in the book of Esther in the Bible. So his son, his third son, is, is, his name is Ataxerxes. Like, attaboy, Ataxerxes. His son is Ataxerxes II. All right, so you have, so this is the grandson of Xerxes, Ataxerxes II. He's the king of Persia. His younger brother is named Cyrus. So Cyrus is recruiting uh, some paid soldiers to fight a far-off battle. And they, he, uh, Cyrus reaches out to the Greeks. Now, the Greeks and the Persians, they hate each other. But it's been a while since the Greeks have fought anybody. And the Greeks have other enemies. So they're like, ah, okay, sure. We'll join this army. So Xenophon is asked to join this you know, paid military. And Xenophon, meh, bit of a wimp. Right? <laughs> kind of, he lived off his dad's inheritance had no desire to fight. You know, he's a student of uh, Socrates. He's a thinker, not a fighter. Uh, but he's like, eh, all right, I'll go and I'll write a book about it. <laughs> right? So he, even then he doesn't want to fight, but he's like, all right, I'll go. It'll be an adventure or whatever. So he joins this, this military. 10,000 Greek soldiers come together, join Cyrus's army to go off and kill some bad guys. So they all go to, uh, you know, the capital, the Persian empire, wherever they meet up with Cyrus. And Cyrus says, all right, guys, change of plans. Uh, what we're really going to do here is overthrow my brother. Right? We're going to overthrow Ataxerxes II, my, my big brother. So the Greeks are like, oh, come on. We didn't come out here to be a part of an overthrow. Like that. Uh, but Cyrus gave him a bunch more money. And then the Greeks were like, okay, fine. So we got this big rebellion going on. And it really didn't turn much into a big one because Cyrus was killed really quick by his brother. And that was it. But now we got all these Greeks. Right, we got ten thousand Greeks hanging out in the Persian Empire. Like, uh, I, we we didn't even mean to be here. Sorry. So, Ataxerxes shows them mercy, and he says, "All right, no hard feelings, guys. Why don't you just go home? Go back to Greece. It's fine." And the guy's like, "Uh, we don't even know how to get home." So, Ataxerxes says, "Oh, okay, my guys will lead you back home. Okay, they'll, they'll lead you on the way through the mountains and everything. We'll get you back home." So the Greeks are like, oh, okay, good. So they start marching home. It's 1,500 miles away, I should say. So it'd be like marching halfway across the country. So they march and they march. It's taking a long time. And then the Persian leaders in the middle, they're in, the, in between, right, where they're going. And the Persian leaders kill all the Greek leaders. Just behead them right there. Kill them all. So the whole thing was a trick. It was a trick by Ataxerxes to get the Greeks somewhere very far away in the middle of nowhere. So they couldn't fight. They couldn't hide. They couldn't run. And the Persians would just kill them when they least expected it. That, that was the whole. So Ataxerxes, he's like, I can either kill you now or I'm going to kill you when you can't fight back. So, oh yeah, why don't you guys go home? Right? He pretended to be nice. So uh, 
the Persians kill the Greek leaders. The men in the Greek camp, they find out about this and they're freaking out. They're terrified, right? They're doomed. They're dead. There's nothing they can do. Surrounded. What are they going to do? So Xenophon looks at this and he's like, whoa, whoa. Everyone's being super lame here. He steps to the plate. He actually has a dream. Zeus is in it and all this stuff. But he wakes up and he realizes that death staring them all in the face. They're all going to die. And all they're doing is whining about it. There's moaning and whining and what was me and all this stuff. And he's like, whoa, 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 what are we doing here? He said, we got we to we figure this out. So Xenophon is like, well, guys, we're Greeks. We are the tough, glorious Greeks. Why are you being so pathetic? Xenophon realized they were pathetic because they forgot who they are. They forgot their identity. They forgot their Greeks. These were men who joined the fight for money rather than for purpose or for a cause. And they were unable to determine who was their friend or their enemy, right? I mean, they joined up with their enemies, the Persians. So they were totally lost, not only in the wilderness, but they were just lost of purpose, lost of direction. They completely lost. They had no idea who they were or what they were doing. Now, Xenophon was not a military genius, but he was good at motivating the guys. So he concentrated their focus on the enemy, the Persians. And he went on this long rant about how uh, how evil the Persians are. And, and he thought that if he got all the Greek soldiers angry, that uh, that anger would motivate them to fight back. Right? So he characterized the, the Persians as evil. And he says, we're Greeks. We're the polar opposite of them. And what this did is it gave men needed direction and purpose and clarity. He made it a battle between good and evil. I want to quote one quote here from Xenophon. Um, he was talking about how sad his, the Greek men were. And he said, in such a state... I don't know what you could do with them. But if someone could turn their minds from wandering, or excuse me, from wondering what will happen to them and make them wonder instead what they could do, they'll be much more cheerful, right? So instead of just being, oh, no, we're going to die, being anxious and all that, wondering like what's going to, they're thinking, oh, but what, what can we, what can we do to help the situation instead? He said, I'm sure that it's not numbers or strength that brings victory in war but whichever army goes in battle stronger in soul. Again, purpose, direction, clarity. Right? Whichever army goes into, into battle stronger in soul, then the enemies cannot withstand them. So they got fired up, were motivated, were able to kill the Persian leaders. They were able to escape and, and outlast the Persians for a couple of weeks until they were able to get home and survive. So a couple of life lessons, obviously, a shift in perspective is everything. Don't get lost about who your enemy is. Right? They never should have joined up with the Persians in the first place. And, and don't get lost about who you are. They lost their identity. They, they forgot they were Greeks. They forgot what that meant. And then also don't be passive and wait for bad things to happen. Take control. But you can't do that if you can't figure out your reason for even living like these Greeks couldn't for a time. So this brings us back to our country, right? So we got seven in 10 Americans say we're losing our identity. But I don't think we can even agree on what our identity is anymore. We forgot what it means even to be an American. Right? Now, I think it's even worse than we can't agree on what our identity is. I don't think people even think it's important to have an identity. Right? Now, I know there's 330 million Americans and it's got how are we going to have a common purpose you know, with that many people, but I mean, we can at least we have something and 70% of people agree on a common purpose. 
And if we don't, then nothing meaningful can ever happen. We're just going to wander. If we Listen, if we don't have a common identity, we're going to wander. We're going to be easily deceived. We're going to be tricked and manipulated, either by, by leaders in our country or, or around the world. When you lack purpose, you're out of control. As Donald Trump says, my favorite insult that Donald Trump ever gave was against Whoopi Goldberg. And he said, she's in total free fall. I love that insult. That's the best insult because it implies uh, helplessness, right? You, you get this imagery. You get imagery, total free fall, someone falling off a building, right? So you get this imagery of, of helplessness and inevitable death, right? Inevitable demise. There's not this, you're in total free fall. If you lack purpose, you're in total free fall. So we better realize that it's important to have an identity. First things first. Then we better be able to to identify and define our identity. Because if we don't, we'll never even know whether we lost it or not. So the seven or 10 people are saying we lost it. I bet most of those people don't even know what it is. That's a problem. 1-888-933-93. I hope that story makes sense about how important it is to have an identity. Otherwise, you will lose yourself. And then you'll be manipulated and controlled if you don't know who you are as a person, as an individual, as an organization, as a company, as a church, and as a country. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter and search for us on Facebook as well. Mike Slater, show the blaze. Radio Network, spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess. It's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. This is Mike Slater. So I just finished this book called The uh, The Lost Island. And it's about a crew of five men who get shipwrecked on uh, an island off the coast of New Zealand. It's about 250 miles, uh, Auckland Island. It's about 250 miles off the coast of New Zealand. And uh, this is 18, it's around the Civil War, 1860s, something like that. So they survive there for almost two years. Right during the winters and everything. But at the same time, on the other side of the island is another shipwrecked crew. So, so you have this cool case study of two shipwrecked crews on the same island at the same time. So what goes down? So the first crew, the five guys, 
they're there much longer. They stick together. They work together. They have a, uh, a common purpose. Obviously, big picture, their common purpose is to get out alive. But even on a day-to-day basis, right? Basic tasks have to get accomplished, right? They have many goals every single day. We're going to build a shelter. We're going to kill these seals to eat, et cetera, et cetera. They divvy up the tasks. No one complains. They have school at night, right? So each of the five guys excels at something and they would alternate between teacher and student every night. So the guy from Portugal, they were all from different countries too. The guy from Portugal would teach Portuguese one night and then you know the captain, the other guy would teach math, right? So he'd be the teacher for the night and they would just rotate around and they all did this just to stay busy and to keep the mind engaged. Isn't that awesome? Like no one cared about Portuguese, but they're like, well, we got we to gotta stay busy and we got to stay together. And they had Bible studies every night as well. Now, don't get me wrong. It was a miserable existence, right? They were depressed and bitter cold and yeah, below zero and pouring rain and snow. And it was awful. And there was times when there were no seals and they're about to starve to death. And it was super desperate. So it wasn't like, oh, this is great. We're vacationing on the island. But they survived. Meanwhile, on the other side of the island, total chaos. Like from, from the moment there was the shipwreck, no leadership, no mission, no purpose. It was every man for himself. And this other crew even found remains of an abandoned settlement. So there was, there was a, 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 like an abandoned house that they lived in and they could start a fire and there were, there were shelter there. So they're given much more than the other crew. And it was a total gong show. Everyone went their own ways. Everyone was bitter to the next guy. No one was in charge. People would just go off and wandering in search of food for themselves. They'd die on the way. One guy climbed a mountain to get a better view, but he did it all by himself because he's like, no one wants to go with me. So he just went. He died on the way down. I think 23 people landed on the island and three survived. There was one night, maybe there were like 10 guys left. And, and one of the guys says, all right, everyone, let's draw straws. <laughs> and they're like, huh? Draw straws for what? And he goes, the short straw dies first so that the rest of us can eat him. And the other guys are like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> what? So now everyone's super paranoid that they're going to kill each other and eat each other. And they did end up eating a guy who died too, right? So they're eating a cannibalism they've resorted to. And those three, they only got rescued by chance. A ship happened to be passing by. The, the other crew, the crew of five, they forged blacksmithing tools and made a boat and then took, a, I think, a six-night boat journey in this rickety old boat across the way to uh, New Zealand and, and were able to, to get help and then come back and find the guys. And it's incredible. So why the difference? Leadership. Big picture, right? Uh, purpose. It was both. It was macro and micro, right? They had big picture purpose and then they had the, the day-to-day purpose as well. So to bring it to our country, what's our purpose? I don't think we know that anymore, right? I don't, I don't think we can all agree on that. We can't articulate that. I think one major problem is, um, one major reason for that is cultural, yes, but also our schools, right? I don't think it's, our schools aren't taught. In, you know, it's so funny because it's like, oh, common core, we're all going to learn the same everything. And... I've, we don't even learn the same, even as it is, we don't learn the same values for our country. 
It's amazing. So I think Trump is is clear on on what we're doing, right? That's his whole America first approach, which is spot on. But I wonder, and, and, and maybe I'm just not paying enough attention to it. Maybe I'm missing it. But is he doing the, this is who we are? Is he doing enough of this is our identity? Maybe he is, right? Maybe I'm just missing it. So I'm going to keep a better ear out for it. But I think that's essential to any successful movement. Who are we? Not just what are we going to do? That's easy. And you rally people around what we're going to do. Okay. But if people don't have a common identity, then I don't think that unity is going to be lasting, right? one 888 Take your call next. I want to come back with um, a story from 60 Minutes last week about uh, the woman running for president of France. Their election is April something, April 20-something. Um, so coming up here in a little bit. And there's, uh, you know, Marie Le Pen is like the Trump of France. And she was did an interview with 60 Minutes the other day, and it was all about this. It was all about identity. This is their big election, right? This is the thing about, this is the big topic in their election in France, is who are we? I'm trying to get like, who are we as Frenchmen and Frenchwomen? What's the, what, what does it mean to be French? Because the people there feel very, in a very acute way, that acute way, that they're losing their identity. And they don't like it. And they think Le Pen is the person to, to help them get it back. Very fascinating. So we'll play a little bit of her interview coming up next. one 888 Slater Radio on Twitter. Check us out on Facebook, of course, as well. Mike Slater Show, The Plays. Radio Networks, by the word. This is Mike Slater. Part of the next generation of talk radio. On the Blaze Radio Network. Mike Slater. It's Slater. Let's play this real quick. Um, again, so we're talking about this AP poll. Seven in 10 Americans think we are losing our identity, uh, which again is a strange poll because someone can say we're losing identity because, for instance, we're taking in too many immigrants and someone can say we're losing identity because uh, we're not taking in enough immigrants. So those two people agree, but for opposite reasons. Same thing uh, with approval ratings. This happens a lot. Um, you know, you'll have... Some people say, I don't approve of Barack Obama because he hasn't lowered taxes. And then someone else will say, I don't approve of Barack Obama because he hasn't raised taxes enough. So it's, so these two people agree that they don't like Obama, but for opposite reasons. Right? He's not progressive enough, or he's way too progressive. So polls like that are kind of uh, meaningless. But it's also about, uh, you know, we, we got to go before that. Forget about, losing, are we losing our identity? What is our identity? And why is it even important to have an identity? And it's funny because I think we're we're not really having this conversation in America, um, but they are in Europe. Maybe because the it's more I used the word earlier acute. I don't really like that word, but it's more um, it's more in your face, right? The losing of their identity because of the uh, migrant crisis that they have over there. So uh, I want to play this uh, quick interview here. This is uh, well, a part of this interview from sixty minutes last week. Marine Le Pen. She is running for president of France. The election is April 23rd. 
she is essentially the Trump of France. And so, so, I mean, (laughs) where no one would ever think she would win, but after Brexit and after Trump, uh, now everyone's like, oh, I think think she might. So here she is talking about the French uh, identity. Her country. So how do you explain what is happening? Did leaders go too far? Yes, yes, of course they've gone too far. Globalization has become an ideology with no constraints. And now nations are forcing themselves back into the debate. Nations with borders we control, with people that we listen to, with real economies, not Wall Street economies, but rather factories and farmers. And this goes against unregulated globalization, a wild, savage globalization. Savage globalization. Yes, savage, of course. Wild globalization has benefited some, but it's been a catastrophe for most. A catastrophe, she says, which has ravaged the French economy as jobs have faded away and immigrants have flooded in. Many of them Muslim immigrants from North Africa, who Le Pen says are draining resources, rejecting French values, and transforming the culture. One of the concerns of many of your supporters is that immigration, current immigration, is changing the character of France. It's changing the spirit of the country. It's because of this massive immigration, and more in some places. France's image has undeniably changed. There are a number of neighborhoods where you are no longer living a French life. That's undeniable. France is still a country of bistros and fine Bordeaux, baguettes and bucolic churches. But immigrants now make up 12% of the population. They brought with them new beliefs and customs. Couscous and kebabs, headscarves, and an outfit called the burkini. A full-body swimsuit for Muslim women has become the latest flashpoint in a raging culture war. We were surprised at just how far Marine Le Pen was willing to go to enforce assimilation. France isn't burkinis on the beach. France is Bridget Bardot. That's France. Should Muslim people be allowed to wear headscarves? No, I'm opposed to wearing headscarves in public places. That's not France. There's something I just don't understand. The people who come to France. Why would they want to change France? To live in France the same way they lived back home? Her views go to the heart of a debate that's been raging in the country for decades over what it means to be French and who's responsible for the failure of some immigrants to become fully integrated into French society. Massive immigration brings with it cultures that are sometimes in contradiction with our values. There are many people in France who view your party as anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim. I'm not waging a religious war. It's clear that in France, everyone has the right to practice their religion, to worship as they choose. My war is against Islamic fundamentalism. Le Pen blames... When Donald Trump says, make America great again, are you saying, make France great again? Yes, of course. I've been saying that for many years. We are a great nation, which has a lot to offer to the world. But to offer something to the world, France has to remain France. Mm. Uh, Sorry about the intro music playing there. I figured the clip's good enough, the intro music's good enough, might as well keep it going. Um, So there's so much good stuff there, but right, this is exactly what we're talking about. And I love what she said. She says, why would someone want to come to France? And you've said this a million times. I know you've thought this. Why would someone want to come to France and then change it to be more like the country they came from? That doesn't make any sense. 
last week we talked about uh, globalism versus nationalism. And it's a simple question that I would like to ask the globalist in France or the globalist here in America. What part of Yemen's culture do you want to come to your country? What part of Somalian society do you want to come to America? So France is wrestling with this question outwardly. I think we're wrestling with it, but not out loud or not specifically enough. You know, we talk about immigration and stuff, but I don't think we really talk about identity. We talk about culture and we talk politics, but I don't think people talk identity. Who are we? Why, 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 who do we want to be? And if you don't ask those questions, you're never going to get to where you want to go. Can we take, let's take a, I want to take an early break here, guys, if we can, I want to come back. I got an example of a little hypocrisy on this um, from progressives. And then a really, really interesting article from the Washington Post about immigration, but not every time you read an immigration article, it's about uh, it's from the perspective of immigrants here. But this article is from the perspective of immigrants in Mexico or not even immigrants, people deported out of America into Mexico. And it's from their perspective. And it's hilarious. Uh, what can be funny about that? I'll explain it next. one 888 Mike Slater. So the Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. Mike Slater. On the Blaze Radio Network. Uh, talking about identity, I have one last uh, story related to this. Washington Post uh, headline. After decades in America, the newly deported return to a Mexico they barely recognize. Okay, So it tells the story of 135 illegal immigrants who were deported from America and were sent back to Mexico City's airport. Now, Check out the quotes from this article. I'm trying to think how to make this more clear. Usually every article about immigration is about immigrants in America, right? This article is about the deported in Mexico and it takes the, it takes a hilarious spin on it. All right. So let me just quote some, um, these are different quotes from the article. Mexico is bracing for an influx of men of men and women like them. Their arrival promises to transform a, a Mexican society. Many of these people come not knowing how to speak Spanish. More returnees means lower wages for everybody. It, this is Washington Post. For everybody in blue-collar industries, such as construction and automobile manufacturing. Moreover, the loss of remittances from the United States, Mexico's second largest source of revenue, $25 billion last year, could have devastating effects, particularly in rural, area, rural areas. And finally, the government's ability to provide such services to the tens of thousands of returning migrants expected in the coming years is uncertain. Okay, this is awesome. So 
when he this is again Washington Post when illegal immigrants come here to America, the left says, "Oh no, no, no. there's no effect on wages. No, none at all. No, not it's actually it's uh, good for the economy." Uh, when immigrants come here to America, illegal immigrants, uh, we say, hey, you know, can people speak? No, no big deal that they don't speak English. Come on. No, let's, what's, what's the problem? They don't need to speak English. We don't need to teach English in schools. It's whatever. It's game on. Whatever language you want. And we're like, hey, you know, we're taking a lot of illegal immigrants here and that's costing a lot on welfare. Oh, no. Come on. Oh, no, there's no effect on welfare here. No effect. There's no effect. Illegal immigrants have no effect on welfare. They can't even sign up for welfare. It's illegal. Hmm. Okay, but when those same illegal immigrants, those same people are sent back to Mexico, now it's, oh, they don't even speak Spanish anymore. Big problem. Big problem. You know, it's really important for everyone to be able to speak the same language in Mexico. Whoa, whoa, whoa. But it's not here. It's not, it's not important that, those, that they speak English here, but it's really important that everyone speaks Spanish there. Right, so once we deport these illegal immigrants back to Mexico, now it's a it's a big problem all of a sudden because oh, it's going to uh, lower wages in blue collar industries. Wait, wait a second, but it doesn't affect wages here. And I love the Washington Post is worried about the drain on welfare in Mexico. They're worried there's going to be too many people deported in Mexico, and they won't have enough money uh, in welfare in Mexico to pay for all this. But when the but illegal immigrants come here, we're like, oh, no, there's no welfare. They're not on welfare, and they don't need welfare. They're hardworking. <laughs> wow. So every reason that conservatives have ever given against illegal immigration, the Washington Post has laughed at. But now they just wrote an article making the exact same points about these immigrants going back to Mexico. And now how that's bad for Mexico. What's the difference? The only difference is it's now twisted to fit their agenda. Right now, the whole spin is like, oh, well, we can't be sending these people back to Mexico because it's bad for Mexico. Amazing. Remember a while ago, we talked about the the history of uh, our border uh, and border walls and stuff. And we talked about Eisenhower. Eisenhower was the first president to really crack down. He actually hired a general to uh, to do it, just like Trump has. But at the time, it w- it was the leaders in Mexico who wanted to build a wall. Because too many Mexicans were leaving to go to America, right? So you had capable, hardworking Mexicans were leaving for higher wages and better working conditions in America. So they were leaving their farms and factories behind. So it hurt Mexican productivity to have Mexicans leaving Mexico. So it was Mexicans government that wanted to build a wall to keep people in. Interesting. All right, I'll end here. This is the Washington Post. Uh, an economist, we suffered a cost as a nation. So this is a Mexican economist, I should say. We, so Mexico, Mexico suffered a cost as a nation by sending those hard workers to the U.S. And in that sense, we lost a lot of talent. Okay, that's what we're just talking about there. When they come back to Mexico and they're properly trained, they will make more than a proportional contribution to Mexico. Perfect. Great. Awesome. Let's do it. What's the holdup? Trump needs to make that argument, right? Trump needs to make that argument. He needs to make the argument of, and he kind of does, right? He talks about the wall. Listen, whenever you want to make, whenever you want someone to agree with you or to do what you want to do, 
uh, let's say at work, right? Let's say you have this idea for a project at work. No one's going to do it because you think it's a good idea. You got to get the other person to think it's their idea. And you got to think of it in, in what's their best interest, right? You got to pitch it to them as if it's what they want and let them have the credit and then they'll do it, right? No one's going to do what you want if, and, and then you get the credit. It's not going to happen. So you got to spin it. Um, and this is what Trump has kind of done, right? He says, listen, you know, we want a wall for these reasons, but the wall is also good for Mexico because it'll stop guns from going into Mexico and it'll stop uh, drug money from going back into Mexico, right? So he kind of spins it around in Mexico's, uh, for Mexico's good. And that's smart. But I think Trump should say this. Trump should say, hey, Mexico, let's build a wall. Keep the Mexicans in, the hardworking, wonderful Mexicans that you love so much. Why don't we keep them in Mexico? Because that's better for Mexico. And then here's this Mexican economist saying, hey, it's better to have Mexicans here. We suffered a cost as a nation by sending those hard workers to the United States. So Trump should say, hey, Mexico, let's, let's uh, rectify that problem. Okay, and let's, uh, we'll keep Mexican immigrants uh, in Mexico uh, where they can improve the Mexican economy, right? Isn't that the, the, the smart move? You'd think. 1-888-933-93. I got 90 seconds here. Uh, real quick, it's funny to, again, Washington Post, how they flip like that when it suits their interests. This, though, is the best of the week. January 20th, 2017, New York Times. This is a different topic, but similar theme. Michael S. Schmidt. Headline, front page New York Times. Wiretapped data used an inquiry of Trump aides examining Russian dyes. This is like the day after the election or whatever. So it's talking about wiretapped data, Trump aides, right? All that whole article about it. Front page, March 4th, 2017, after Trump made the accusation that Obama tapped his phone lines, same reporter, same newspaper, Trump offering no evidence says Obama tapped his phones. What? So in January, Michael S. Schmidt and the New York times wrote an article about the wiretapped data used in an inquiry. And then in March, Oh, that's outrageous. No, no evidence has happened. Same guy, same newspaper, different circumstances. What's the connection? It's all about making Trump look bad, right? So in January, it made Trump look bad that he was under investigation. But now saying there's no evidence that this happened makes Trump look bad. So they'll go with that, right? So you see that that, that's the goal. The goal is to make Trump look bad, whatever it takes. All right, I want to come back. Really awesome experiment was done the other day. Uh, switching gender roles of who? I'll tell you who next. Mike Slater Show, The Blaze Radio Network. Spread the word. You're listening to Mike Slater on The Blaze Radio Network.